As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. 14 goals conceded in only five group stage games. Ziyech whips it in, trying to catch. Oh, he's done him! He's done him! He's caught a niner again! What on earth is the Manchester United goalkeeper doing? Man United now stand on the brink of Champions League elimination. But is it really all goalkeeper Andre Onana's fault? If Manchester United go out of the Champions League and it's down to throwing away leads in games, who is there to blame for that? Yeah, it's always me and I'm responsible for this. But also, no, we are in the project and I'm sure we will be successful in the long term. I'm Ayo Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. All right, let's get into this. I'm joined by The Athletic's Adam Crafton, Manchester United writer, Carl Anker, and also our Italian football writer for slight impartiality, James Horncastle as well. <laughs> well, gents, let, let's get into Andre Onana. Uh, Adam, Manchester United, yeah, 2-0 up. It was looking good in Galatasaray. They had it in control. How confident were you feeling at that point when it was 2-0 up? At 2-0 and, what, six points off the top of the Premier League. I mean, you'd started thinking... Uh, double, treble, every, every, everything was back on the table. New contract for Ten Hag. Um, the Glazers Garnett, are great. Glazers are great. Please stay 10 more years. Um, but no, no, I mean, it, it was a better start, I think, than people expected. I think it was also like a reminder Galatasaray aren't that good. Aren't that good. So as soon as Galatasaray went 2-0 down, I think Darren Fletcher on commentary started reeling off these stats about how Galatasaray, I think, had won like one or none of their previous seven home Champions League games after this was after like a week of welcome to hell build up. And then it turns out this team isn't actually very good at home. Um, and that's what it looked like, really, for actually a lot of the a lot of the game. Every time Man United remembered to pass the ball to each other, they created loads of chances. Um, but but what we've seen from this team, I think, is a fragility when things start to go against them within games. And also this extraordinary capacity for self-implosion. And actually, I felt last night it was more about individuals than the collective. It didn't feel to me like the team folded. This time it was, you know, ultimately the, the goalkeeper threw it away. Mm. Carl, I mean, goalkeeper threw it away, I think some might say twice 
in that game. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about Manchester United here. They're the third highest goal scorers in Champions League group stage. Only Atletico Madrid and Manchester City have scored more. They've also conceded the second highest amount. Only Antwerp has conceded more goals, um, considering more money's been spent on Manchester United squad than Royal Antwerp squad. Um, <laughs> has it, Carl? <laughs> Wow! Just the scoop. <laughs> just one player alone. <laughs> just the scoop. And you, you talk about throwing away. This is Anana. Well, you, you could say Anana actively threw the ball into his own net. This is really concerning for a goalkeeper that James described on TNT yesterday as being one of the best in the world last season. He was absolutely considered one of the best in the world last season. And stop it's laughing, Crafter. Stop it. It's it's not just you know. The byword was in the Champions League final, Anana was brilliant. And he was. But also, in the league, he was very good for Inter Milan. He kept that Inter Milan team in, in more games than they possibly could have been. You know, raw shot-stopping averages, okay, two par. But what, everything else he brought to that team was phenomenal. He looked to be a leader. He looked to be someone who could bring composure to a team that often lacked it. Yes, okay, he does do some uh, unorthodox things with his feet that can sometimes make fans have a minor heart palpitation but he was meant to take United to the next level and at this point in time you you can look at that Champions League group and say United are where they are because of repeated mistakes from Andre Anana. James come on I need to bring you in here I mean what are your thoughts on yesterday's game we'll, we'll talk about Andre Anana in just a second um, because I know you've watched him in Italy a lot but like talk to us about how you felt that game went as an impartial viewer. <laughs> Well, I'm tired of seeing United go 2-0 up and Garnacho basically tell a hostile crowd to shush and to calm down. It seems to just always herald a comeback. Uh, when will he learn? <laughs> but look, I'm not going to excuse Onana for the mistake he made, but I don't think it's easy for someone um, to play with that team in front of him. Uh, a team that, yes, as Adam was saying, was on top when it decided and remembered the talent that it has available to it. But United was so stretched at times. It was quite amateur in terms of like how much space there was between the lines for yeah, an okay Galatasaray team um, to pass through and create their own chances against. And yeah, as much as the attention has fallen on Onana, we were talking about this between ourselves last night. Uh, Bruno gives away the two free kicks that lead to two of the three Galatasaray goals. Okay, on the first one, he's essentially covering for McTominay, who's nowhere to be found. But the second one, he just lashes out at Ziyech for no reason, really. And again, just gives a, gives a free kick away in a dangerous position. So the lack of structure that I see at United, uh, or the lack of discipline positionally mm. from the players, uh, it just welcomes kind of pressure. Arsenal were playing on the same night. See how disciplined and compact Arsenal are uh, compared with United in the Champions League. And yes, Arsenal can score plenty of goals, as United have done. But Arsenal can also kind of keep clean sheets in a way that United can't. It's not like Arsenal haven't had a goalkeeper sort of issue this year. You know, it's just they don't leave him as exposed sometimes, I think, as, uh, as Onana is. I would pay to watch United Galatasaray every week. In fact, I mean, the, the, the two games between them have been the most entertaining football, or just entertaining football spectacle um, of, the, <laughs> of the Champions League. Remember the, the Super League, there was that idea that clubs would have so many games uh, in, in the Super League season which they could pay direct, sell direct to fans. 
I'd be straight to the to, to I'd be on the Ticketmaster online queue <laughs> to pay for Man United Galatasaray, although Galatasaray weren't in the Super League, but maybe they should uh, on it, the basis it, of these performances. I think it's good that you describe it as a spectacle because I still <sighs> those final fifteen minutes. Midfield just became a, a gentle suggestion rather than one of the most integral areas of the field. Um, some of Galatasaray's defensive schemes looked to be were not too dissimilar from being training cones. <laughs> Scott McTominay kept chasing further. You know, he saw his name in lights and was trying to get that fourth goal. And there were repeated moments in that game where you just go, just keep your shape, please. Just get a couple of men behind the ball. And I, I, I agree with you, James, in that it is difficult for any goalkeeper coming in to Manchester United because at this point in time, you are going to have to deal with at least eight shots on target. De Gea lasted so long at Manchester United because, okay, you know, we all know about his issues passing out the back and issues with his feet. But when it came to, you're just going to, you know, I'm going to have to deal with an aerial bombardment or, or just a, a volley of shots. Um, I'm going to try my best to save more than, than I let in. And eventually, De Gea succumbed to this dysfunction. And I think particularly in, in that final season, you saw he just he couldn't keep up anymore and more shots came in. And what you're seeing with Onana is someone who came in primarily for what he could do in terms of build-up play, lost the two best defenders in terms of build-up play in Luke Shaw and Alessandro Martinez, and is now also being overwhelmed by this amount of shots. But on top of that, he is exacerbating his own issues by not doing the basics of goalkeeping, right? And I'm not, I've never been a goalkeeper to a high level, but he's doing two or three very unorthodox shot-stopping techniques that is spreading fear amongst his team and making the opposition more confident. I don't think Ziyech goes for that second free kick if he hadn't already scored the first one. Um, and we've seen this with other goalkeepers that have come and gone in the Premier League. There was a very, very good example with Joe Hart where essentially the majority of the Premier League all went, oh, if we shoot low until he's left, he kind of has a problem there. And let's just keep shooting there and seeing if he can survive. If you get to a point with Onana where the league goes, we're just going to shoot early. Then he's got, he's got, he ends up in a sink or swim situation. What do you make of this, Adam? I mean, look, he came with the promise of taking Manchester United to the next level. And at the moment, he's been a ultimate limiting factor in them standing still. Uh, that's the kind of the harsh reality of it at the moment. Um, there's times where he does things with his feet that are very impressive. Look how high Anana is. Look at the confidence he's got to spin away from his former Ajax teammate, Ziyech. Well, if I was playing and I saw my, my goalkeeper pirouetting on the halfway line, I'd be screaming. You know, there aren't many goalkeepers that will be on the halfway line and do a pirouette away at Galatasaray, um, as he did last night, and then ping a 40-yard ball. Equally, like there's times where I've been really underwhelmed with him passing, actually. I thought at Everton on Sunday, when Man United were pretty much in control of the game early on, it was actually a few kind of really casual passes out of play that he played that encouraged... Everton onto United, you know, kind of keep giving the ball back to them. And yeah, you can go into angles that were being created and all of that kind of thing. But I've just sort of generally found him pretty underwhelming. But even if even if you're saying the goalkeepers are overworked at Man United, which they are, it just does, like the mistakes he's made. Last night, he didn't actually have that many saves to make. You know, there weren't a huge amount of saves last night yeah. that, that were you know, world-class or difficult or particularly difficult. And even if Man United are giving a few free kicks away, I think it's reasonable to expect United to be able to defend 
And also, I mean, I don't know what, what you guys think, and I don't know if this was the story in Italy as well, James, but there's times he just seems a little bit too emotional, to be honest, after he's made a mistake. So you saw him, um, you know, at full time last night, kind of very visibly kind of putting his shirt over his face. And you've see, you saw him at Bayern Munich, I think, in the middle of the game, almost looking like completely devastated. Uh, it's a difficult situation for, for us, for me especially, because uh, I'm the one who let the team down. And uh, yeah. And really, but, like, um, the best goalkeepers are kind of on a level, whether they are having a great game or a bad game and ready to just make the next save. And with and I can't work out with him whether it is a a genuine anxiety that gripped him, in which case he needs support from the club and ways of controlling that, or whether it's a little bit of being slightly overperformative, actually, at times, in terms of wanting to show people how much he cares and wanting to show the fans, which can go down really well when it's going well for you. But on other times, I think it just kind of, if you're a defender in front of that, you're just looking at that and thinking, I don't want my goalkeeper to be this up or this down so visibly. I think the circumstances of him coming in at Inter, very different um, to him coming in at United. On the one hand, he was coming off this doping ban where you could say, okay, this guy might be rusty. But he wasn't coming in to be the immediate first choice goalkeeper at Inter in the way he was or he is at Man United because they had Sami Handanovic who's been at Inter for a decade was the goalkeeper behind their league winning team part of a successful team over the last three years and Handanovic was the goalkeeper in the league for the first eight or nine games and people were asking Simone Inzaghi when are you going to bring Onana in and he was like he's my Champions League goalkeeper and again some of the things we've been speaking about today about how Onana will get exposed playing for United to eight shots on target a game. In their Champions League group stage last year, they played uh, Barcelona and Bayern. So it doesn't really matter how good your defense is. When you play teams that elite, you are going to have to make a lot of saves. And he shone, uh, particularly against Barca, to the point that I think it gave him confidence and it created a groundswell of opinion within the media and the fan base to say, make this transition now, uh, Inzaghi, uh, put him in. So he did after 10 games in the league and he became their number one goalkeeper. And I think there's always pressure at these big clubs. You know, I don't think United, with all due respect to them, are any bigger uh, than Inter are in terms of what a club player has to deal with on a daily basis. If you're playing at San Siro, you're playing in front of 80,000 very demanding fans all the time. Fans will be waiting outside for you if things don't go well. It's not like, you know, sort of English prawn sandwich brigade are already gone. Um, <laughs> and he dealt with that. But I do think the dynamic of him being eased into it at Inter and having a series of confident performances against elite opponents where people were saying, hang on a minute, this guy should be in, is, is very different to what he's having to experience at United. Um, in a way that he is the only number one. He, was, he is the guy who was really supposed to kick on from De Gea, as most people had got fed up with De Gea, despite being a fantastic servant for the club. But I just, I mean, I don't know whether this is because of his reputation of being so good on the ball. If you're that good on the ball, there is this idea that 
he must be very composed. He must be very cool on, and calm under pressure. If he's inviting uh, a press, if he's baiting a press, that must tell you a lot about his mentality. And so there, there wasn't this kind of perception of him as being, uh, as being too emotional. And, and, and the strange thing is, is that obviously Inter reached the Champions League final last year for the first time since 2010. And I think he was associated with that run. And because he was, it was his first season and they went all the way, it was like he has been a fundamental piece to this interside going all that way. But he was kind of um, exempt from a lot of the criticism that Inter were getting in the league. Because I don't know if any of you guys remember, but until February and March, Inzaghi was under pressure. He's like, this guy is on the brink of the sack because of their league form, because of losing games in the league. Yeah, they, they were under huge amounts of pressure. Um, and he was exempt from it because, again, he was, the, he was seen, even though he became the first-team goalkeeper in the league from October onwards, he was associated with that Champions League run. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Ayo Akinwalere. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Bruno Fernandes with the shot. Oh, what a goal! Oh my days. Stunner! Absolute stunner from Bruno Fernandes! Top corner like a rocket, 2-0 Manchester United. I want to slightly go back to the Bruno Fernandes thing again. Isn't, I know we're talking about Andre Onana, but isn't someone like Bruno Fernandes as well just emblematic of what Manchester United are right now? You know, you get these flash moments of brilliance, scores a brilliant goal and then gives away a free kick. I take the points. I, mean, I just think like teams give away free kicks, right? And it doesn't normally end up in two goals from three kicks in, in games. That's a very unusual situation and a pretty unfortunate situation, right? To have two free kicks that aren't particularly good. I think there's an issue with just in general with the way that Ten Hag sets up Man United's midfield that, that maybe explains some of these free kicks actually that get given away because you see this a lot, even when they just set up at goal kicks. And I think it's one of the reasons why they struggle to play out from the back as well. He has one kind of holding midfielder that almost drops into the defence as a, as a third man. But then the other two of that three go so high, you can't actually play through midfield because it almost becomes mm-hmm. like a five up front. And it also then creates, when the ball's turned over, which it invariably is because Man United have a lot of players who want to play very direct and very fast and they don't really want to actually keep the ball. They want to just get it forward very, very quickly. It then means you've got these huge spaces in midfield, and that's what you've seen all season long. And it's, I actually think it's a bigger issue 
definitively this season than any individual. Ten Hag, I can't understand how he's not seeing this, how he's not sit, or if he just wants them to get better at it. But I don't understand how they can get better at it with the players that he's playing. Now, this was always a, an issue for Ten Hag. His Ajax team was always vulnerable to defensive transition because he, he wants to throw so many people ahead of the ball. Now, you can get away with that when you're the Ajax manager in the Eredivisie because you have the most expensive squad, you have the best players in the league, and fine, you, you'll win games 4-2 or 4-3. Or um, and, you know, the first famous Ten Hag team had Frankie de Jong in there. So, okay, you've had your two midfield players get really, really high forward. And Frankie de Jong would just look up and go, okay, I'll just run. And he could he could make the yards up. The thing that made Ten Hag impressive was his second Ajax team that went did well in Europe. Um, when De Jong left and De Ligt left as well, you had Ryan Gravenberg in there. And things changed. Ryan Gravenberg was in the midfield with Steven Berghaus and you had Edson Alvarez, who was basically, you know, your water carrier. But they were still vulnerable to this. We've lost the ball and we've got four people ahead of the ball and we all need to get back quickly. And it fell to Edson Alvarez to make the tactical foul to stop that. Or it fell to one of your fullbacks to make your tactical foul. And last season, this was a problem. But the person making tactical foul was Casemiro. Barcelona fans will tell you how good Casemiro is at making those sorts of fouls and not getting booked. And then all of a sudden, you know, Crystal Palace and other games, Casemiro stopped being able to do that without getting sent off. And as we've seen this season, Casemiro now is also getting really high up the field. So this is a long-standing problem Ten Hag's always had with this style of play. You calm that down by making sure one of your midfielders is either very good at tactical fouls or very good at carrying the ball in the first phase. This is why United fans are so excited about Kobe Mainu. But, but I mean, last night, so United are 3-1 up. And, and actually, Scott, you know, Scott McTominay, despite what the commentary on BT was saying about how fantastically he was playing, he wasn't playing, he wasn't playing that well. I mean, he's like, he should have had a penalty given against him. I mean, yeah, <laughs> nearly. Yeah, like posi- yeah. positionally, I thought he was really poor last night. But then actually, is he just being asked to do that? By Ten Hag, but the point I was going to make was at three-one, Man United have that game to use a Jose phrase in the pocket, right? That game is in, <laughs> is in the pocket, and then he brings on Kobe Mainu. To me, and it's easy to say now, you take off McTominay, you say to Mainu, just sit next to Amrabat, and make sure you come away with the points, protect these points. And it was as if it was as if they just saw no jeopardy in the game as coaches. And again, that that is really poor in-game management because that as soon as it went three-two, you knew it was going to be potential for three for for three-three or even four-three to, to Galatasaray at that point. Those are sort of the moments which make which kind of worry me more about Ten Hag actually than anything we might say about Anano or Fernandez giving away set pieces or anything like that. You know, there are individual errors, and that's not that's not get away from it. Andre Anano made some. Three two four, very large blunders in this Champions League group stage, and they could have been the difference between earning six more points. Uh, but also, but also won them two points against Copenhagen. Yes, and I think it's also important that at a certain point of any team, when this many individual errors are coming, that is a symptom of a wider structural problem. That's what I was trying to of, allude to. Yeah, of exactly. the players, the players are. The players are error-prone and confidence-stricken because there is no safety net being put in there by who, whoever's coaching the team. And there was, a, there was a really, really 
you know, again, I listened to this on BT Sport. I had Robbie Savage and Rio Ferdinand. TNT now, TNT. TNT. Did I say BT? Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Come on. I listened to this game on TNT Sport <laughs> and there was a moment where when the score was 3-1, TNT Sport uh, on commentary asked, should you keep Scott McTominay on or should you leave him there? And I think it was either Savage or Ferdinand. I went, no, you want to keep McTominay on because he can still get another goal. And McTominay himself gave a full-time interview where he said we should have killed the game off and, and got that fourth goal, which is just dreadful naivete for how you play away from home in the Champions League. You, you don't you don't you don't look to win games four one when you're three one up. You just again you've got it in the pocket. Be really boring. Sit on it. Circulate the ball about. And I think part of this is because Manchester United don't particularly have too many players who's who are comfortable at receiving the ball under pressure and using it well. Bruno Fernandez cannot receive with his back under pressure. That's why he does all these flick ons. And Amrabat, unfortunately, has been a disappointment because he can't, he doesn't appear to be able to keep up with the pace. I found the last uh, 15, 20 minutes just uh, unbelievable because as much as you can focus on or, or excuse what happens on the pitch at United to what happens off it, lack of structure, all this decay from the Glazers. Yeah, the Glazers, yes, they've taken money out, but they've put money in huge amounts for Ten Hag. Hang on. So if you say the Glazers have put money in, United fans will get on your back. The Glazers, the Glazers well, have allowed okay. money that United have raised to be spent. <laughs> sure. But they've the, the club has spent an unbelievable amount of money. It spent it for this manager. I think if you were in Qatar last year and, and you're, we're, we're watching some of these group stage games, Casemiro, one of the best midfield players in the world, right, okay, not always fit, ups and downs at United, whatever. Amrabat, people got super excited about Amrabat. United have got a team that should be doing far better than it is. Like, like I find like last the weekend the the fascination with with Kobe Mainu, I felt so sorry for the kid. Same, just like all of a sudden just being built up. It's uh, the savior. They're looking the, for the savior. savior, and it's like the money spent on this midfield alone. There shouldn't be pressure going on this kid in the way that it is. Sofian Amrabat and Casemiro, if he's fit and not suspended. Do you know why that kind of pressure expectation came? It was because Kobe Mainu, Sofian Amrabat's come into Manchester United and immediately looks like a Manchester United player. And I don't mean that as a compliment. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I mean that as a, as a reflection of what... It's a reflection of what happens when Man United sign players, right? They kind of just go into this sort of blender and come out as a kind of damaged version of their former self, unfortunately. And Kobe Mainu came in, and the biggest compliment I can give him is he looked like a Manchester City player, right? He, right? <laughs> right? He, took, he, took, he took the ball in difficult areas. He didn't panic when he received the ball. He did simple things very well. And you're like, wow, it's not that difficult. <laughs> that's, that's, you, you watch him and it looked quite easy. So I think that's where the kind of, Shit, he doesn't look like the rest of them, basically, sense came from. And and yeah, I think, you know, there was certainly a sense of, even from pre-season, there was a lot of kind of giddiness and excitement. I probably contributed to that expectation and pressure because I tweeted that I think there's a chance that he makes the England Euros <laughs> squad. <laughs> but I, I can just, I can just, I don't, this isn't me saying he should make the England Euros squad. This is me saying... If you look at England's options in central midfield, where there's a huge amount of heat on 
Henderson and Phillips because of where Henderson's playing and where and Phillips basically doesn't play club football and James Ward-Prowse doesn't appear to be in the picture. If Kobe Mainu plays pretty regularly for Manchester United because of the exposure and the focus and scrutiny that Manchester United get, if he puts together a run of 15, 20 games, there will be a momentum that leads to him being in the frame to get called up. So I was saying you could imagine a scenario where in English football that happens. Led, led by you and Carl. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolera. Can Onana pull it back? I'll be interested on your point on this one, James, having pre-context, but also from the two of you. You know, are we, are we screaming for David De Gea to come back, or do do you have faith that he can? It, good. That's what I wanted to see, Carla. A, a shake of the head. So that that means you, you're showing confidence in Onana pushing this, pull, pulling this back. <sighs> I said this on Talk of the Devils this week. In that, it became very apparent last season that Manchester United needed to cut the cord on David De Gea, and from what Adam Crafton and others reported, Ten Hag came to that decision. Ten Hag seemed to be umming and ahhing until Lissandra Martinez got injured. Uh, and then changed his mind even further after the FA Cup final. Uh, and there's that. If it's 2017, David De Gea was being a goalkeeping god to keep Mourinho's Manchester United out of fifth place, maybe we'd have a conversation. But the De Gea of 2023 has absorbed so many punches, I don't think he's tenable at a club the size of Manchester United. And if you want good evidence of that, well, there's the fact that no other club has picked him up. The thing with Onana... He is in danger of entering the Claudio Bravo zone. So Pep Guardiola takes over Manchester City, makes a big song and dance about Bravo and using his feet. And while Bravo was better at using his feet than Joe Hart, he might not have been the goalkeeper. And eventually they found Edison. Onana, I think, is, you know, he's not 30 years of age yet. He, as we've all discussed here, is very, very confident. He should have enough talent there to get to, to fix this. But he is in danger now of losing a lot of goodwill. And we also have to talk about the fact that AFCON is around the corner. And while his AFCON situation is really dicey, he's not. there's a there's a pretty good chance he's not going to be around in January and Altai Bayindir will have a run of games in the Premier League. And if Bayindir has a run of games and it is like what Manchester United fans imagine Bayindir could be, even though they've not, had, they've not seen him this season, <laughs> then it could get really sticky for him. Just clarify a little bit for people listening to this for the first time, especially around AFCON, what his situation is, Carl. <sighs> okay. Andre Anana and Rigobert Song, the Cameroonian national team coach, do not see eye to eye. Song asked 
Onana to not be so aggressive in his positioning uh, and to stop playing like a midfield player during the World Cup. Onana said, I'm not going to make any concessions. Uh, and so I went, OK, then you can go home. Uh, and as far as Onana was concerned, when he got sent home from World Cup duty in 2022, he had he would no longer be selected as long as Song's the coach. Now, Cameroon is like, when you play for Cameroon, it's a bit like playing for Brazil. It's a bit like playing for a number of other countries in Africa and South America in that you you do not formally declare your retirement from international football. You just simply wait to be aged out and stop being selected. And I believe when he was in negotiations with Manchester United, that was expressed to United as well. Like, don't worry about AFCON. Me and Song don't see eye to eye. I'm not going to get selected. Then all of a sudden, Song selects him for national team duty. Anana was very confused by this. And again, because you cannot formally retire from international football in Cameroon, you can't really say no, um, especially if you <laughs> want to show your face back home. <laughs> so Anana is gone. Uh, and we still don't know if, if him and Song see eye to eye. So that's that situation. Nice. James, can you put it back? Absolutely. I, I mean, I think this goes back to Adam's point that... Um... United is a club where great players go to decline in their prime. You know, I mean, uh, Onana is a Champions League finalist goalkeeper who was the outstanding player on his team in that final. Prior to that, another massive club, talking Ajax and Inter, reached the Champions League semi-final. So this guy has been on the line, literally, for clubs that have had tremendous success. And he's been a part of that success. So I think he, he absolutely can pull it back. It'll, it will help when United have people fit and playing in form where he has a centre-back partner. I think they've had seven different centre-back partnerships this year. Mm-hmm. They've had a rotating cast of left-backs, which has involved even Amrabat playing as a left-back. You know, be good if their wingers track back every now and again as well. You know, so in a team that had some structure and discipline about it, um, I, I'm sure he could. Pull it back. I'm sure. I'm sure he will pull it back. There's a. There is a. And he's not just a Pirlo in gloves. Mm. I think that there is an overemphasis on the fact that he is. He is this this playmaker. He's a good shot stopper. You know. I mean. And and again with this like unorthodox technique. Yeah, you could see it on that free kick the other the, the other uh, in Istanbul. There's this story at Ajax where they picked up on this unorthodox technique. And they're like, I, I think we sh- you should go back to just like how traditional goalkeepers do this. And he was like, well, I feel I can get to the, the ground quicker this way. And they're like, okay, we'll get our sports scientist to wire you up and see if you're right. And he was right. And they were like, okay, it's pretty interesting. And you're, you're doing a good job for us. So maybe we'll teach our younger goalkeepers your technique as well mm-hmm. as an optional. So as much as people are uh, hitting out at these techniques, something that Ajax were like, oh, okay, it's pretty interesting. Let's learn from it. So again, I think it's 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 not about necessarily like teaching him to be any different than he he is already because what he is already he persuaded Man United to pay fifty million for him. Eh, Manchester United have spent a lot of money on a lot of players that. <laughs> yeah, I I, th- I think there's there's three reasons why he has a really good chance of pulling it back. The first is as James says, right? He's a goalkeeper that has pedigree and standing and clearly a, a track record of quality. The second is that he's the manager's signing, right? Like this wasn't one where Man United's data department went away and, um, you know, unpicked something that and unearthed something that was that nobody knew about. I mean, this is the manager's man, right? So he's 
by death, you know, you look at the way that he's kind of persisted with someone like Anthony almost to a fault at certain times. I think you're going to see pretty similar with Anana because I don't think this is a manager who actually very often sits there and, and wonders if he's got something, you know, wrong. I think the third point, which is arguably potentially the most significant, is Manchester United don't have any money. So they can't replace him. <laughs> Certainly until anything significant happens in terms of Jim Ratcliffe coming in, Man United need to sell. They can't buy. Um, and they're really good at selling, aren't they? They've been uh, great at yeah, that. Yeah, so they're brilliant <laughs> sellers. So I think this idea that it's going to be like, you know, off you go, Claudio Bravo, in comes Edison. Man United simply don't have the cash to be able to do this. They don't have the cash to be able to just correct continually a mistake from the previous summer. I'm interested to see what Ten Hag does on Saturday. You know, if this is a kind of a point where he just thinks, okay, you know, or if, if a player in a different position had made this many significant mistakes, I think you would see them dropped. It's clearly a bigger focus because it's a goalkeeper and clearly Bayern Deers never played for Man United. So nobody really knows how good he is outside of the club. But I wonder, you know, whether for a couple of games he may look to just sort of take an honour out of the firing line. Yeah, if we're talking about pulling things back, I mean, all eyes are now on 12th of December, uh, Bayern Munich come to Old Trafford, the final group stage of the Champions League. It could still go United's way. Um, I don't think Bayern are going to particularly take the gas off against Manchester United, bearing the history between both clubs. What happens if Man United go out of the Champions League? For United, it's a, it's a, you know, I was just talking about the finances. It's another disastrous situation, right? Not only for from a financial point of view, because it will mean they miss out on more money that they would have. I'm pretty sure when Man United make their projections at the start of a season, and they're in the Champions League, despite there not actually being much evidence of them over the past ten to twelve years being capable of this, but their projections will have been you know, get to the, the knockout round minimum, probably get to the quarterfinal. And as a result of that, they're going to be below their projections, which again increases the pressure on financial fair play. We thought they would have to sell more players than they actually did in the summer because, you know, when you look at the way they were trying to sell Maguire and McTominay, and now they've also got this, they've got this, this very difficult situation with, um, well, arguably two players, one with Jadon Sancho, where you have an asset that is just kind of dwindling in value because the club has made so clear that he's not a part of the plans. And I think the other interesting one is Rafael Varane, who I think if you'd have said two weeks ago, you'd probably have thought, yeah, he'll go, but he'll go at the end of the season. Whereas now I half wonder if they were to go out of the Champions League and if United are under this fi- a bit of this financial pressure, then maybe they look at trying to do something in January if the opportunity comes up. And then the open question is just, we don't know what the kind of the cash injection is going to be. But even so, I mean, it's still de- FFP still largely depends on what you're bringing in in revenue. So you can't just kind of fix it with, here's a cash prize from a, from a, from a shareholder. It's interesting you bring up the, the game against Bayern Munich. Manchester United play Liverpool on the 17th at Anfield as well. This is a really stress. Adam just rolled his eyes for everyone who did see that. Merry, Merry Christmas, Man United. Yeah, it, it is, it is, it's a very difficult December for, for Manchester United and for Eric Ten Hag. 
Ten Hag says Kobe Manu cannot quite play 90 minutes yet, but the hope is that maybe he gets closer to 90 minutes. And I'm sure he will be playing 15, 20 games by the end of the season because United need someone who can be composed on, in the middle of the park. And it, it's just remarkable that, you know, as as James has said, as, as Adam has said, so much money has been spent on this team. And yet your best midfielder for passing and receiving out of pressure is an 18-year-old academy kid. James, quick one. What are United doing next? I mean, it's uh, it's massive to go out the Champions League in the group stages in particular. Well, I think United turned players into Galatasaray players. I mean, there are a number <laughs> of players in the, in the United team at the moment where you look at and you think... Shots yeah, fired! This is Anthony, amazing! Anthony has got Turkish Super League written all over him. Part of me thinks... Do I remember... The, 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 I can't remember who it was. One of the chief executives at United who used to go to university together. Uh, they used to go to university with each other. But one of them said that on-field performance would would not affect off-field performance in terms of like fi- the finances. But we've seen that's that's not the case. And I was staggered when we were reporting on the summer transfer window about how FFP was a concern for Man United. Like you know the the team that for a long time had the biggest revenues in world football. And I still find it amazing that it's FFP is a problem for the Premier League considering how for Premier League clubs considering how far ahead the Premier League is to everybody else. So yeah, it makes it all the more difficult for the manager whether it's Ten Hag or someone else to turn this turn this around. And yet you do you do think of prospective different coaches for, for Man United, would they look at this squad and say it's a, a bad squad? I mean, some of the players that we've been listing is just, <laughs> I mean, as a whole, Carl, yeah, sure. But like, you know, I think in your shopping for 10 hard columns, I mean, they've bought most of the players that you put on those <laughs> whoa, lists. Whoa, 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 it's not my fault. <laughs> All right. Do you know what? Let's let's definitely leave it there. Honestly, this is this has been definitely a a really insightful chat on on Manchester United and where they're at. And but also, uh, you know, we sort of started on Andre Onana. We've we've got in we've got in deep on on several fronts. But really appreciate your time, gents, Adam, James, and also Carl as well. The latest episode of Talk of the Devils, our dedicated Manchester United podcast, is available right now wherever you get your podcast from. And also remember to rate and review the podcast if you're enjoying it. And why not give a friend or a loved one the gift of reading some of the great writing from these guys at The Athletic. A one-year subscription at a special discounted price of $19.99. That's both pounds and dollars. Simply head to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. The Athletic.